we're going into a new series. One of the things that Pastor Oliveira said last week, and I paraphrase him, but he made a statement that if we're crazy enough or naive enough to know God's Word and live by it, what a difference that would be. I've been praying over this for several months, presented with the elders, and I said, we need to go deep into the Bible. It is impossible for us to be people of God that follow God's Word if we don't know what God's Word is. Just that simple. We have to know His voice. We have to know His Word. We have to know what He is saying to us. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to know what it means when it says, how do we choose to live our lives? So for the, this, starting this week and for the next seven weeks, we're taking the book of Colossians, and we're just going to go through that entire book. We're breaking it up so that each week we take a part of that. But let me tell you the importance of Colossians is that Colossus, or Colossae, depending on two different spellings on it, was very unique. It was the crossroads of trade routes. It was where everybody came from every different direction. But what that mean in that booming economy that was flourishing there, they had to have an understanding of tolerance or back then, not that that affects us now, okay, that they had to agree with everything anybody believed if they wanted to do business. That literally, if you believed that your God was a tree, you could get a tree idol there. You could get anything you want. And what happened in that time frame is the reason why the Apostle Paul wrote the letter there and said, listen, we've got to make Jesus first. If we don't do anything else but make Jesus first, that's the foundation. And then he's going to tell us through these eight weeks, as a result of knowing Jesus and Him being the foundation for us and our lives, then it's kind of, again, how then should we live? What impact does that have on us here? And so when we look at this, the message, the, the series for eight weeks is going to be a letter to modern-day Colossians. And that's what we're going to talk about, is the modern-day Colossians, because I believe that's us. I believe everything that's identified here, all of the characteristics of Colossae, that's the world we're living in right now. And we're going to break this down, not from a political standpoint. We're going to break it down based on God's Word and what He tells us. You can take your politics. I don't have a problem with those. Let's go outside. I'll talk to you. But in here, we're going to talk about Jesus and the foundation of our faith and how He calls us to live. And that's what I believe God's calling us to with this church. Today's message is our hope is in the truth. The big idea, God's Word is not only made clear to each of us, and God tells us it's clear. We don't have an excuse. Book of Romans said, from creation, God has laid it out. From what we see, nobody has an excuse. But He says God's Word is not only made clear to each of us, but God also gives us a clear understanding of how we're to apply His Word in our daily lives. This Scripture is not going to be up there. This came about at about 4.45 this morning. But I was taken back to John 8 and 31 and 32. And this is, then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, and I want to dwell on the fact that this isn't evangelism. What God is talking us about is his family. This is us who claim the name of Jesus Christ. And he's speaking to us, and he says this, and Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, red letter, this comes from Jesus, if you continue in my word, 
You really are my disciples. But I want you to get what it's predicated. If you continue in my word, okay, then you really are my disciples. But then comes the verse that we know and love. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I want to go, and we're going to start with Colossians. And, and just at the very beginning, we're going to do 1 through 8 right now, today. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to do this in, in a loving way. I, I'm not a fan of somebody standing up and trying to beat you over the head with something as a challenge. Let me just say I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that in these next weeks, every bit of the reading for every week is bite-sized. There's not a person in this room that can't get to it. There's not a person in this room, I am convinced, that can't take a few minutes and read just a few scriptures as we go through this each week. But we're going to go through it and ask you, not, as, not what is Pastor Chuck saying to you, but I'm going, to, I'm going to encourage you to pray over God's Word, to read God's Word, and then ask God, what are you saying to me? Not from this platform here, but from the greatest platform the universe would ever know, Almighty God Himself. So as we start, I want to read with you Colossians, starting in verse 1, right? And we're going to go to verse 8. I know that sounds like a lot, right? Now I told you it's going to be bite-sized, and we're going to go through this. The Apostle Paul's, and I'm going to break this down for us, in verses 1 and 2, and he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, I want to just take that right now. We can go back just those two for just a second. Listen to what he says here. It's Paul and Timothy together. And I love this because what you're seeing here, Paul, as you know, was speaking into the life of Timothy. We see something just in those words that says, we have a responsibility to disciple others. With whatever God has given you, God has given it to you for a reason, not for you to hold it sacred, put it in a metal box and hide it. But we're, you know, that light, we don't put it under a basket, God says. But we're to shine with this. And you just get this when he says, okay, this isn't like the other letters where it says, Paul, a servant of the Lord. Now he says, okay, but now wait a minute on this one. This is me and Timothy together. The young man, as you'll read in Timothy later, you know, is that he's pouring into, right? But here's the other thing, brothers and sisters, you know, I've shared with you on many occasions that, you know, we see the word men and how it was used back there. It was really referring to men and women. So we had to stretch that and you had to take my word for it or study it, right? And that's not the case here. He's very clear when he says, to the saints in Christ Jesus, right? At Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters. And you say, well, Chuck, how do you know we're faithful? I'm looking at you. That's how I know. You could be any place else this morning on a glorious day. This morning, this morning, I am sitting here looking at faithful brothers and sisters that God is speaking to. And then he says, now we go to verses 3 and 4. He says, we, big word there, not I, we always thank God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now, I love this because... This tells us about this ongoing need for prayer, that it's not just, it's not just, well, in time of need, I'll pray. Or if something gets really bad, then I'll learn to pray. If it gets really bad in my life, I sat, I sat with a guy a couple of weeks ago, and he was listening to a guy give his testimony, and he, he was a leader of some sorts in the church, 
and people looked up to him, but he was giving his testimony at a men's thing, and he says, my life got so bad, I had to start reading the Bible. I'm going, seriously? Maybe that was the reason your life got so bad. Just work with me on this. It's like guy saying, man, I, you know, when all else fails, pray. Seriously? I can guarantee you that. If that's your philosophy about God and His relationship and yours with Him, it's going to get bad. But you see, God's calling us into this, and He says, look, we pray. You could put continuously there. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. He goes on and says, because of the hope reserved for you in heaven, you have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel. He goes on to say, that has come to you. It is bearing fruit, growing among the, all over the world, just as it has been among you since the day you heard it and came truly to appreciate God's grace. You have learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. You know, when I think about that and I, I listen to that, there is so much just in that first eight verses there. Besides his introduction, he verifies it's Paul that's writing this, Timothy that's there with him. He verifies that, look, I'm writing to the faithful. I'm writing. This isn't evangelism, you know. This is about you. This is about me. And I know you're faithful because I'm looking at you. And we've got to stay with this. But then he goes and he says, I love this because here's this town of Colossae, but what does he say about them? He says their faith is being heard of all over the world. Right now we have one of our sisters, daughters in the Lord, a great young lady, and I think she's in Brazil. We've got one that's over in Hawaii teaching. And I know, you know, you look at this and say, well, that's one there and that's one there. And I told you about the one pastor and with 50 churches and the things that we talked about here at Summit Church. And I go, oh my goodness, everything that we've talked about, everything that we're dreaming of at Summit Church to make an impact for the Lord Jesus Christ, little by little. And we're seeing families that have moved here and met families and they're taking it with them. I get, I don't know if you remember, but this was back in December, Jill and Eric, and they moved they moved down to North Carolina, South Carolina. They still watch. They're still in touch with Summit Church. Now they're in their home church there and so forth. But there was such a connection, not with me. I mean, I hope I was a part of it, honestly. But this is what they connected with. This is what they connected with, you. And that's where the message is going. And that's what God is doing there. And so when you look at this, here's one of the questions as we go into God's word for this. Several months ago, I mentioned I'd actually seen the movie twice, The Jesus Revolution. And it's really the story of Pastor Chuck Smith. He started with a little church of 25 people, okay? So when you see The Jesus Revolution back in that time frame, it started with a church of 25 people. And in that midst, God brought in, and he had told his daughter, I, I want to meet a hippie, right? I want to meet, you know, somebody that looks like, appears like they're, they're far from God. Come on, Ed, I know that. Me and him, we're in the same boot, okay? We're right there together on this thing, right? 
the weekend before I went in the Army in 1971, I had hair down to my shoulder and thought I was really cool. And of course, all of that got shaved off. For whatever reason, it didn't fit the Army in 1971. And I thought I looked great. But it was this idea that he had told his daughter, I, I want to meet a hippie. There's something there that God is guiding us to. Well, if you've seen the movie, you know that she meets a hippie and brings him home. And Pastor Chuck Smith walks out, and here's this guy with long, dark hair. It's actually Romney that plays Jesus in The Chosen is who was in this role here, right? And he's shocked by this. And his daughter says, she said, you wanted a hippie? I brought you one. you got to be careful what you pray for. you got to be careful what you ask for. Okay? And I... I know this sounds crazy, but I've been praying for this church to be a safe place for the hurting church, unchurched, marginally churched, and people with needs. That we're not a cruise ship. You've heard it. It's not original with me. But boy, God's calling us to be a medical facility for the, for the hurting, a medical facility for those that have been hurt in church, marginally churched, beaten up, those that are truly seeking Jesus. But there's this question there when Lonnie, this hippie, and Chuck Smith, and Lonnie's sitting there with him, and he asks this question, are you desperate? Are you desperate? I've thought about that over and over again. And I thought I was desperate, you know, at times. As God's been moving on me, moving in my heart, my wife, she goes, you know, that's kind of crazy on some of this stuff, but she's used to her husband being crazy. Pastor Smith went to be with the Lord in 2013, so just prior to that, Greg Laurie, a great pastor at the churches out there, but he asked him, do you ever think we would see another Jesus revolution? Would we ever see another Jesus movement? Chuck Smith looked at Greg Laurie and he said, Greg, I'm not sure God's people are desperate enough right now for that to happen. I'm not sure God's people are desperate enough for that to happen. By the way, if you saw the movie, you saw upward to 5,000 at one time being baptized at Pirate's Cove. Less than a month ago, over 4,100 were baptized at the same place, at the same place, just a few weeks ago. And I'm telling you, I believe God is ready for his people to get desperate, hungry for his word, desperate for him, desperate for our nation, desperate for our churches. You know, what's happening here is, is I've, I've, spent, I've spent a lot of time in prayer. I spent time crying out for this church, literally. I've spent time saying, God, make me desperate enough to invite desperate people into the process. So I'm just warning you. I I'm just warning you. That's where I'm at. Is I am so desperate for this church. I am so desperate for each one of you, but I'm more so desperate for me to be the kind of person that God is calling me, that we can get desperate together and see what God could do with a church that is absolutely desperate for Jesus Christ and wants to make an impact in the community and not just meet on Sundays. I'm desperate for that. 
Now, some of you, you hear me and my voice raises and so forth. There's probably a couple of you in here that are probably thinking right now, could I slip out quietly and get away from this maniac? Sure, because I am absolutely positive that you can go around the area and get a church that's going to tell you, oh, how your living is perfect, and God loves you just the way you are. God loves you as His own, and He doesn't want you to change. That's not going to happen here, because there's not one of us sitting here that's sitting here perfect, and God's saying, there's not a little bit more we can do here. And He starts with this guy right here. There's so much more that needs to be done in me for him to work through me, and i got to be desperate for that to happen. And when we read this Scripture and we see what's happening here, God is speaking to us. And here's the interesting thing about Colossae that gives us perspective on this. You're just a short walk from Colossae to a church that's located... It's located about 120 miles from Ephesus is where Colossae is. But you're just a a piece up the road on this thing, right? And you get to a church or a city called Laodicea. Now, in the book of the Revelation, there are seven churches that are mentioned. And here's what God spoke through John the Revelator in the Revelation about the church just a neighborhood away. And this was the church, and he says, write to the angel of the church of Laodicea, thus says, amen. The faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. Now, here's what he says. I know your works, that you're neither cold or hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold or hot, hot or cold, I'm going to vomit you. That's his words, not mine. Some of them try to make it nice because you know how sensitive us Christians are. So some of the translations are, I'm going to spew you out gently. No, the word is vomit you out because you're neither hot nor cold. Turn your back on God and leave. But if you're here, get hot, get desperate. And he says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth for you say, I am rich. I have become wealthy. I need nothing. Boy, there's the United States. You don't realize you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And that's my (laughs) Thank you. I've known this man for a lot of years over here, and we've done a lot of studies together. But here's the deal. Think of it this way, and you go, well, that was Laodicea. We're studying Colossae, right? Well, the interesting thing is, think of it this way. You know, if you want to find some at church, you can look for Centennial or Greenwood Village. Do you know that? Some addresses will say it's Greenwood Village. Some will say, see, it's just this one area right here. So what God was writing to, to Colossae, the epistle or the letter that he wrote to the church there, and what he was saying over here to Laodicea, because what happened was they rerouted, okay? And so Colossae went away. There was a couple of earthquakes, but they were never able to rebuild it. And some of the things that happened in and through there, right? It was known because of its rich soil. It was known. It had a purple wool that, you know, was everybody loved this thing. Now, here's the issue. Now, let's go back to why this is important for us. In order to do business in Colossae, you had to be tolerant of everything. Now, let me explain some things. You see, what we've done in the United States is, and around the world, 
is we have taken this word tolerance from the original meaning that says to be tolerant to you, I honor you, I will respect you, and I will respect your opinion even if it doesn't agree with me. Okay? That's what God calls us to do. He gives us Scripture on that. To be tolerant is literally to mean, and you know what's really funny is, look up any definition you want to look up. And all it says is the same thing. To be tolerant is, I acknowledge there's a difference here. I acknowledge that whether it's base or politics or faith or, you know, all of that, we have a difference. But it doesn't keep me from honoring you as a child of God. How can we say God created everything except people that disagree with us? How can we say God created everything and everybody except, well, you know, except for the people in maybe other denominations or unchurched? Or, no, no. See, let's get it. God created everything. Now, He didn't create us all to think the thing at the same time, but He says we're still to love and to honor. But now here's what's happened in Colossae, because if they wanted to do business there, they not only had to agree by honoring, respecting that opinion, they had to say, I believe the same as you. That's what's happened in the United States. It's not political, because if we don't get this right, we're missing everything God has for us. If we believe for a moment that in order for us to get by in the culture we live in, we have to accept everything that's being told to us, and we have to agree with it as the truth when it's not. You say, Chuck, I mean, that's a little far-fetched, isn't it? I mean, would that actually happen? I mean, uh, I'm going to take you to a far extreme in our culture. You ready? Several years ago, a guy decided he wanted to marry his dog. So he married his dog. He was an ordained minister. He married his dog. Not long after that, he helped another woman in Britain marry her dog. So she started a website. She got ordained in a church. And she is marryyourpet.com. Now, I know this sounds far-fetched. You can go, Chuck, isn't that a little bit crazy? No, it, it really is. But here's the thing. She's performed hundreds of ceremonies of people marrying their pets. Now, here's what I would tell you. If that woman was here today, or that man, and said, hi, Pastor Chuck, let me introduce myself, this is what I do. My job, responsibility, is to honor, respect that individual, not his thoughts. See, we, we have confused this, that we have to respect people's opinions as opposed to respecting the person. And we've been told that we don't really respect the person unless we agree with all of their thoughts. That's not true. That is what we're going to see here in Colossae is what the Apostle Paul is saying. That's where everybody got off is because they bought into this idea that everything was good in the eyes of God. Let's just live as nice people and get along with each other. So I would tell you this, person comes into Summit Church, and they said, oh, by the way, here's what I believe. I said, you know what? That's different than we believe, but I respect you as a person. I don't have to agree with your opinions, but I respect and I will honor you as a person. You see, that's where I draw the line then. Because when the individual says, oh, by the way, I'd like to be a minister in your church, and I said, that ain't happening. That's not going to happen. And the person comes in and says, oh, by the way, just so you know, 
We know you open up your church into the community and you want to make an impact. We want to use your church because we've got five people that want to marry their pets. That's not happening here because that's not of God. But it doesn't mean that I cannot respect that person. I cannot honor him and realize that I have to live out when I say we're all a child of God. Either it's true or it's not, and it's not partially true. So I've got to choose desperately that God will show me how to honor those that we disagree with in terms of opinions, even politics, or even faith-based. And what does God tell us in this? In Ephesians 4.32, you know, it's throughout the Bible, but He just says this, be kind to one another, be tenderhearted, be forgiving of one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And then he also says this in Proverbs, when a man's or woman's ways please the Lord, he even makes his enemies to be at peace with him. You want to really confuse somebody that disagrees with you and you disagree with? You want to really confuse them? Love on them. Just love on them. Acknowledge that just like me, you, each one of us, them, They're a child of the living God. Now, are they at the same place in the relationship? Doesn't appear to be, but that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is what? To walk in truth, to take God's Word, to know God's Word, to apply God's Word, and walk in truth. And we can't do that if we don't know what the truth is. And that's got to come to us. So I want to give you three things that Paul is telling us just in these first three, okay? One is, He's speaking to followers of Christ in the church. Saints, he's talking to us, okay? That's what this letter's for. God's Word is alive, it's true, and it's for today. People say, well, that was written back in 60, 62. Yeah, they've changed it. We used to say, you know, B.C., A.D. Now you got to say before current era, after, I don't know. But here's what it means. It means 60 years after recorded time with Jesus. That was the dividing line right there, right? That's when this was written, and you're saying, Chuck, you mean that letter actually is valid for now? Well, I would tell you yes. Why don't you ask God for yourself? Because God inspired every word that's in there. Every word in there is true. Every word in there comes from God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't ask me if this is supposed to apply to you today. Why don't you ask God? And all I'm asking you this week is there's eight verses to read that we've got this week. There's only five verses for next week. Read that and ask God, is this for me? So he's saying followers of Christ in the church, right? To the saints is what he says. And then he says this, Paul acknowledges that he knows of their faith in Jesus Christ and their love for the saints. Look, If somebody were to say, Chuck, are you perfect and do you lead a perfect church? Boy, there's a funny one. Why don't we just start with me? The answer is no. Okay? So much work God has to do with me. Billy prayed with me before we got started, and I just stepped off the side because I needed to hear her voice. She's in Virginia with taking care of some grandkids. But this understanding, and that's one of the reasons I'm so desperate, is there's so much wrong with me. I mean, you say, Chuck, how flawed are you? How much time do you have? Seriously. But you see, I'm here because I want God. I want to be desperate. 
to do something about this. I want you to be desperate and see what God wants to do, not just for you with your families and all your relationships. And I'm going to keep asking you, are you desperate enough for God to really work in you? Really, are you desperate enough for God just to grab hold of you in ways that he's never grabbed hold before and say, I've got plans for you because I'm going to keep encouraging you. Get desperate. But he's saying, look, I know. And he calls us saints. You see, in all of our weaknesses, all of our flaws, it's not like he's saying, hey, you know, you idiot or this. No, no. He's saying, you brothers and sisters of mine, you saints in Christ Jesus. But God's still got so much work to do with this, doesn't he? And the third thing he's saying here is, your hope is in the truth, and that truth has already come to you. I think right now there's so much that we can look at and say, but what is the truth? Well, I can tell you there's a book that's got it. But you know where else? Through prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit, in every situation in your life, you can ask God, what is your truth for me? How am I to respond here? What am I to do here? What is, what's the piece of this, God, that is for me in this process? And then at the end of verse 5, he says this, you already heard about this hope and the word of truth. The gospel's already come to you. No matter where you're at in your journey right now, you're here today because the gospel's come to you and God wants to speak to you. Oh, I'm in the same place, trust me. You think, well, I stand up here so it changes everything. Oh, no, no. I'm so desperate to get so many things right in my life. And I just want to help you and encourage you. Say, how desperate are you? Really, how desperate are you? Not just to know God's Word. How desperate are you to live by God's Word in a hurting world that desperately needs Jesus? You know, we, we go through this. I'm going to ask you to do something, not right now. When you go out, there's a table. The book was written by a great friend of mine. He's one of my board members, good friend of of Rob's values and that. And you think, well, that doesn't look like it's very big. Well, let me make it easier. This part here is a journal. This part here is actually the book. And Pastor Andy Addis took a little sleepy church of about 100 people in Kansas, and they run now about 3,000 on 13 campuses 20 years later. But he did it by sticking to God's Word and teaching people to read God's Word right to the point that he went through it. Now, here's how this works. We've done this before with books. Just know this, that's available to everybody. You walked in, there's a price out there, it's $10. If you want $10, throw it in there. There's a little bag, I'm not even there right now. Won't be then. If you need change, make change. If a lesser price works for you and it's $3, throw $3 in and take a book. And if today it's just inconvenient for whatever reason, this is so important that our ministry will cover this for anybody who just needs it. You don't have to ask, you don't have to look around, but here's what I'm telling you. I don't know how we can be desperate for God if we're not desperate for his word. And what I'm asking you, as your pastor, I'm asking you, will you read the Bible with me? Just read the Bible with me and not take my word for it, but each week as you read that, will you ask God, what are you telling me in these. Like I said, so what's that mean for this week? That means this, one through eight, we just talked about. Next week, I think it's five through 14. Just read that. It's not a huge assignment, 
But I will guarantee you this, when you get a taste for reading God's Word, it's going to change your life. Not the message here, trust me. There is nothing that will change your life more than reading God's Word and asking God, what do you want me to do with this, God? Nothing will change your life more. We're going into a great time now. I'm going to pray here in just a second, and then I'm going to come back and talk to you because you can see we got the swimming pool here. So let me just pray for all of us right now. And my prayer, I'm going to tell you in advance, so if you don't want this prayer, close your ears. But the Spirit will get to you anyway. I'm going to pray that God makes us a desperate people and a desperate church. That we will be so desperate, hungry for His Word, and hungry to live by His Word, that there's not a person in this world, in this room, wherever you're at, that people won't look at and say there's something different there. And maybe in the future, when a guy like Greg Lowry says, will there ever be another Jesus revolution? Maybe then somebody can say, I think so. Because I see a room of desperate people that are so desperate for the things of God. Let's be those people. Father, we thank you and we love you and we do praise you. Father, I just come and lay it down before you. Make us desperate. Make us hungry for your word and desperate to live lives that represent you and bring honor and glory to you. Make us a desperate people, Father, that set us apart. Not because we're that good, it's because we're that hungry for you. I pray your blessings over each and every person here. I pray, Father God, that you will pour out your spirit on them. I pray that you'll draw them close to you and me. And Father, I'm not asking you to take everyone in here someplace that I'm not surrendering myself to go to first. So Father, start with me. But Father, I want this to be a church of desperate people because of you and how good you are. So do this, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's desperate family said,